I love the song that we sang earlier today, I Know Who I Am. It's a wonderful thing when you get to a place in life and you know who you are. I was thinking of a movie I was watching where the lady was driving into a parking lot in her, uh, in her, her small car and she was about to pull into a parking space and all of a sudden these other uh, two young girls, you ever seen this movie? And they, they zipped into the parking place in front of her and uh, she said, I was just, you saw me, I was just about to park there, I had my signal on and they got out, they said, we're younger and we're faster. So she backed up her car and she ran her car into their car. And then she did it again. And then one more time, they said, what are you doing? She said, I'm older and I got more insurance. <laughs> I said, that's a person who knows who she is. <laughs> now, don't go running into people's cars. I'm not saying that. But, <laughs> but it is good to know who you are. Amen. To know who you are. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Matthew chapter... 13. We're not going to go there yet, but I just want you to get prepared to read with me when we get there. I want to talk a little bit this morning about the characteristics of the kingdom. Characteristics of the kingdom. This is something that the Lord laid on my heart, and we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night, and uh, I had just planned on making it just a, a little short Wednesday night message that the Lord dropped in my heart, and I had something different planned for today, but uh, the Lord just would not let this go, and so uh, as always, I'm scrambling, trying to keep up with God, and you know, writing some things down. So be patient this morning as we go through this. The characteristics of the kingdom. By the way, keep Pastor Phil in your prayers. He is in Virginia this morning. Some of you may know, and he is uh, actually he and uh, Pastor Phil Capuccio are setting in some leadership at another church. So he's he's moving, folks, in his apostolic role. Amen. They're setting in leadership. They're prophesying, doing a presbytery and uh, laying hands and doing that type of thing. So keep him in your prayers. I really believe that this time for him is he's really going to uh, move into a new role. He's not retiring. You may hear that word retirement, but he is not retiring. He is, he's just moving into a new and greater role. Amen. Keep him in your prayers. The latest statistics show that there are over seven billion people on the planet. Seven billion people. Now, I don't know how to count to seven billion, but that's a lot of people. And it, it shows that 35% of those people, of the, that seven billion, would say that they're Christians. 30% of those people would say that they're spiritual people. If you were to ask them, are you a spiritual person? They would say, yes, I'm a spiritual person. 19% of the seven billion would say that they know what the purpose of man is, mankind, why we were created. And they would also say that they know what their purpose is in this earth. 6% of the 7 billion would say that they don't know what the purpose of man is, they don't know what their purpose is, nor do they care. Now, I think it is a tragedy for there to be 7 billion people on the planet, and most of us not only do we not know why we are here as mankind and as humans, but we don't know why we are here as a purpose, as a person. We don't know our purpose in life. Why am I here? What am I doing here? There are questions that rule our hearts. Who is man? What is man? What is he doing here? Where did he come from? 
If we knew the answers to some of these questions, folks, I believe we would solve a lot of problems that we experience as humans. And I believe some answers can be found by understanding the kingdom of God. And some might say, well, that's, uh, that's a, a religious thought. You know, that's just one part of life. Well, I want to share with you this morning that that is all of life. There is nothing outside of the kingdom of God. Do you know that Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 said that this kingdom was prepared for man before he even created man? Think about that. I think if God created a kingdom prepared for you before he even created you, that it would be wise to find out about that kingdom. Wouldn't it? You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that citizenship is greater than your citizenship in America or Kenya or the Philippines or Fiji or wherever you may hail from or wherever your passport, uh, whatever it may say on it. You have an ultimate spiritual passport that says citizen of the kingdom of God. And so if we are citizens of the kingdom of God, yet pilgrims in this place, then I believe that we should know who I am. We should know who we are. I really believe that we are a people that acts like what we are. We really act and we react like what we are. And we have to know who we are. On Wednesday, I, I told the story of the scorpion and the frog. Many of you have heard that. I told the story of how the, the, the scorpion wanted to get to the other side of the river. You've heard this. It's actually an Aesop fable. And, uh, but I think it's, it's very good. It's really a life lesson. He wanted to get to the other side of the, of the river, and he couldn't swim. And uh, so he met a frog there on the bank and said, Hey, will you take me to the other side? And the frog said, How do I know you won't sting me? Right? And the scorpion said, well, why would I do that? Because if I did that, we would both drown. And so the frog said, hop on. So they're halfway over. The scorpion stings the frog. And as the frog's muscles start to tense up and paralysis sets in, the frog says, why did you do that? And the scorpion says, I can't help it. It's in my nature. I do what I am. There's another story, though, that I came across about a man who found an eagle's egg. And he took this egg and he put it in a chicken coop. And the egg hatched, the eagle came out, and he was around all of these chickens. And all of his life, he spent there in the barnyard with the chicks, doing and thinking he was a barnyard chicken and doing the things that chickens do. Scratched the earth for worms, clucked and cackled. And he would thrash his wings and fly a few feet in the air and then walk again. Well, years passed by. And one day this eagle was an old eagle. And he looked up in the sky and he saw a magnificent bird flying in the sky. Just gliding with wings that looked to be golden. Barely flapping these wings. And he said, in awe. Who is that? Well, his neighbor there said, that is the eagle. He is the king of the sky. He belongs in the air. We are chickens. We belong to the earth. 
So the eagle lived and died, for that's what he thought he was, a chicken. Though he was created an eagle, he lived and died a chicken. It is a shame for us to go through life being born again Christians, citizens of the kingdom of God, living and dying as sinners. Though we may go to heaven because a new creature was born, but our life here on earth was lived and we died just like any old sinner. Yet you are royalty, kings, and priests, above and never again beneath. You are the head and not the tail. I believe, saints, that it's time for you and I to start living like it. It's time for us to start living like it. Come on. You act, think, and live like what you are. Rather, what you believe you are. What has somebody told you you are? Who has someone told you you are? Are you listening to them or are you listening to your father who knows who you are? Because he created you. He made you. He breathed the breath of life into you. If anybody knows who I am, it would be my heavenly father. I would suggest that you should know who you really are. Because if the characteristics of the kingdom of God are not manifesting in your life, I would submit that either you don't belong to God, and we can fix that. Very simple. It's not a very hard thing to do. God already did the work on the cross. It's very easy. Made it easy for us. Or you really don't know who you are. You know I'm saved, I'm a Christian, but you really don't know who you are. God wants his people to have a kingdom mentality. Revelation chapter 1 and chapter 5 both say that he has made us kings and priests. I'm not just making that up. That's just not some preacher saying you're kings and priests. That's Jesus saying that. In the book of Revelation, you are kings and priests. And so I have a question for you. Are you living as a king and a priest? The kingdom of God is so important. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus' disciples saw him for 40 days after his resurrection. Before he ascended into heaven, he walked this earth 40 days, talked with his disciples, had last words with him, with them. And only one subject comes up in the Bible that they talked about. You know what that is? The kingdom of God. Forty days. Last words. Kingdom. Kingdom of God. Now we must understand this, that God is the king. To have a kingdom, you've got to have a king. Right? So God is the king. And like I say, to use my very best Indiana University English, he be the man. He's the one. What he says goes. It's his kingdom. God is the king. Heaven is the domain. Heaven is all around us. There are different levels, but that's another sermon or another teaching. But heaven is all around us. God is the king. Heaven is the domain. Kingdom. God is the king. Kingdom of God. Heaven is the domain. Kingdom of heaven. Those two are interchangeable. So don't get confused when you read about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Same thing. It either describes the king or it describes the domain, but it's the same thing. 
Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Now, if you want to know the importance that Jesus puts on the kingdom of God, just listen to what he has to say about it. Look in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 13. This is one of many parables that Jesus tells on the kingdom of God. Verse 44, he says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure, treasure, <laughs> hidden in a field. Now when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. Jesus felt that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven was so important that he compared them to great treasure and great pearls that someone would sell all that they have just to obtain these things. What is so important in your life that you would sell everything that you have? Your car, big screen, TV, couch, everything in your bank account, favorite dress, glasses, all your clothes, things that your husband or wife or mom passed down to you. It says he sold everything, everything that he had to obtain this treasure. And that treasure is the kingdom of God. That is the importance that Jesus puts on the kingdom of God. And so today what I want to do, though we could have a 27-week series probably about the kingdom of God, I just want to talk about four characteristics of the kingdom. Is that all right? Four characteristics of the kingdom. Now you've heard these characteristics before, but we'll just delve into them. And see if any of these characteristics either fits you or are they characteristics that you can attain, that you say, listen, I need to get to where Jesus wants me to be with these things, okay? First characteristic is love, of course. It's love. Now, this one has to be the foundation of the kingdom of God. I, def I, I, was, I was sitting and I was thinking about this and I thought, Lord, love, you know, it can be kind of corny. I mean, because we, it's an overused word sometimes. It really is. I like how the Greeks use love because they have different words for love, phileo and agape and all those type of things to describe exactly what they're talking about when they say love. But we use it uh, so egregiously sometimes when we say, I love you, I love America, I love IU, I love my wife, I love chicken, I love this, I love that. You know, but those are all different types of love all different types of love. And so I said, Lord, you know, how, how do you define love? I mean, how can you define it? I mean, it's, it can be an emotion, but really that's not the God kind of love or that's not where love ends. Though God is emotional to us. God has phileo love for you and I, but that's not where it ends. So I said, Lord, how do you define love? And God dropped this into my spirit and, and I wrote this down and I'm going to keep this because it was a really great, I wish I could say I came up with it, but it wasn't me, trust me. 
God really dropped this in my spirit. Love is the giving of oneself. You might want to write this down. It's the giving of oneself at the expense of oneself for the benefit of another. I'll say that again. Love is the giving of oneself at the expense of oneself for the benefit of another. Now, if that doesn't describe God, I don't know what does. This is a foundational characteristic of the kingdom of God. 1 John 4, 8, and then also in verse 16 says that God is love. John said, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then in verse 16 it says, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. You cannot separate the two. Now notice, it does not say that God loves. It does not say that God has love, but God is love. It's who and what he is, characteristic of the kingdom. It's an important distinction because if God is love, then love is inherent in his nature. And if God created us in his image, then love is, should be inherent in our nature. And you say, well, yeah, I love, I love people, I love everybody. Well, do you give of yourself at the expense of yourself for the benefit of others? If you do, then you can say, yes, I have the characteristic called love of the kingdom of God. One of the obvious qualities of love is that it has to share itself. It has to. We see this because God shared his dominion and his rulership and government with us when he gave us dominion over the earth. He shared it with us. In essence, love is fulfilled when it gives and shares itself. Like an old song says, love isn't love until you've given it away. <laughs> it's not love. Love is not words. Love is not just an emotion. But when you give it away, it becomes love. Here are 10 traits. Now, I didn't put these up here so you can jot them down or, or put them in your memory. But here are 10 traits of love that we find in Scripture, mainly from Corinthians 13, as you know, if you've read that before. But number one, love is not selfish. Now, this one deserves top spot. Because when loving others, you will, al you will always look for the interests of others before your own concern. Always. Always. One of the greatest fruits of love is non-self-centered giving. Not giving. Non-self-centered giving. That's one of the fruits of love. Number two, love is not demanding. When you love someone, you will offer, you will give, you will ask, but you will never force your way or demand anything. Boy, that's, that one can be hard to swallow. <laughs> also, love is patient. When you love, you will not be in a hurry for the first two reasons are already in effect. <laughs> Come on now. It's patient. 
And then we know, number four, love is kind, right? Words will be sweet and put a smile on any face. I used to be in a service with a guy that smiled all the time. He was always happy. And, and, and think about this. This wasn't, I, I'm not talking about in school or, uh, you know, at, at work, at a job. I'm talking about in the Army, and this actually was in basic training. It's hard to smile all the time in basic training. I don't care who you are. Because people are yelling at you, talking about your sister and your family and, you know, your heritage. And, you know, they say some things about you in the army. Mike knows. <laughs> and so it's difficult to smile all the time, Al, you know. And, uh, but this guy smiled all the time. And I love, he had a saying. And I, I loved his saying. Every time he came into a room, he said, I don't bring nothing but love. I don't bring nothing but love. <laughs> Kindness has one more influence than anything else. Number five... <laughs> It is not rude. Some of us need to work on this one. It's not rude. I didn't call any names. But indeed, rudeness works its way deep into the human spirit as a sharp, stabbing sword. Love, on the other hand, brings the best out of a person. So love, if you have love, what you want to do is get the best out of other people. Especially if you rule over others, you want to get the best out of them, the best. Number six, love holds no grudges. Now, a few of us need to work on this one. Come on. It holds no grudges. We don't want to hold grudges, but it's so difficult to forget. Love holds no grudges. You will quickly forget that a wrong has occurred. Hmm. Indeed, it is said of love that it covers a multitude of sins. Come on. Do you cover a multitude of sins? If you do, then you are love. Also, love rejoices in truth. This is a true characteristic of love. Nothing is more de delightful than knowing and hearing truth while being appalled at lies and injustices and misinterpretations. That's a characteristic of love. To just absolutely embrace and enjoy truth. Characteristic of love. Number eight, love is loyal. Come on, we could use some loyalty. We could use some loyalty. You cannot love for a short time and then stop. Come on now. Some folks who, who are engaged may need to hear that. You can't love for a short time and then stop. This is for the long haul. Come on. Love continues on no matter what the cost. Loyalty is a true test of love. Do you leave when you're offended till you turn your back? Mm. Love endures all things, number nine. It doesn't matter what the conditions are. You will put up with just about anything if you really love. You will. That's another hard one to swallow. But if I truly am connected to you and I truly love you, I will put up with just about anything. Not that I will condone it. I'm not saying that. There's a difference. But remember, I try to get the best out of others. I don't just cut it off and leave and say, look, I'm done. No, I'll try to pray and figure out a way to get the best out of you. Love endures all things. And then finally, love never, ever 
no, not even ever, fails. It never fails. So if a relationship fails, it wasn't love. If something fails in your life, it wasn't love. Love never fails. It goes where none other dares to go. It will give its life. And Jesus was a perfect example for this. And I don't mean only on the cross. But he gave his life every day that he walked this earth. Especially once his ministry began. Because there were throngs of people coming after him. Please, heal my son. Talk to me. Share with me. Teach me. Rabbi, he could barely get away to go pray. Or just have some time alone. He couldn't go on vacation down to Miami. Catch a game. Watch a little TV. He tried to go to somebody's house, but they took the roof off and lowered someone down. Wanted him to heal him. Jesus gave his life every day. Love does you no good to keep it to yourself. I believe that the number one characteristic of the kingdom of God is love. Love. Number two, dominion. Hmm. You realize that dominion is a characteristic of the kingdom of God? God gave us dominion. We'll see that. I define dominion this way. Dominion is to have supreme authority, to have reign or sovereignty. God gave us dominion over this earth. Now that's scripture. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Down in verse 28, it says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now notice what God left out. He did not say have dominion over each other. We don't have dominion over each other. God has that. But we together have dominion over this earth. You want to talk about a purpose for the kingdom of God and a purpose for why you're here. Why did God create man? He created man to have dominion over his kingdom. I refer you back to number one, love. He shared his authority with us. God's original purpose for creating man was to establish and implement his invisible kingdom in this visible realm. Now you can see how the kingdom of God operates here on earth. And guess what? This might blow your mind, but I want you to listen to this. You and I are a result of God's creative genius. Would anybody agree with me that you would say God is a genius, right? Would you say that? Right? I would say God is a genius. <laughs> I mean, look at all that he created. We could go into all the science and all those things. But we, God is a genius. You are not an accident. You are not a fluke. You are a result of God's creative genius. 
He created you and I in his image. Genesis 1.27, the verse squeezed between those two that we just read. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. So we all are created in the image of God. When you get up tomorrow morning and on your way to work or on your way to school, I want you to look in the mirror at yourself and say, God, you are a genius. (laughs) You're not a fluke. You're not an accident. God created you. Jesus was the image of God on earth. Hebrews 1, 3 says, who being the brightness of his glory at the express image of his person. And so if you want to know in all of God's genius that he created you, how am I to act? How am I to be? How am I to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? We can refer to how Jesus walked this earth. Now this word image is not referring necessarily or only to physical likeness. But it is translated from the Hebrew words Salem and Demut, and both mean essential nature or essence. They mean a copy of characteristics. C.S. Lewis said this, The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but the Christian knows that God will make us good because he loves us. Yeah, you are a result of his genius. I know you may have fallen short on some things. God knows that. You may have failed in some areas in your life. He already, in fact, he knew you would fail in that area before you failed. And guess what? He still loves you. You want to know why? Because David put it this way. He said, he set his love upon me. Now, if God set his love upon you, that's with a heavy hand. It's hard to push his love off of you. I don't believe you can do it. Because where sin does abound, grace does that much more abound. And it may be hard to believe, but you cannot out the grace of God. Well, what shall we say then? Shall we sin to prove God's grace? God forbid, Paul said. No, because believe me, like a, like a good father, he will crush you and get you back online. <laughs> but no, if you fall short, you have an advocate with the father. You have an in to the throne room. Come on. Your name is on the list. Let me look down. Yes, your name is right here. Come on in. I have an in. I have friends in high places. But what we have done, I believe, as men, is we have created this little thing called religion. God never created religion. Now, It is not my intent this morning to step on anyone's toes or to offend anyone. But there comes a point when you just have to tell the truth. You just have to say what the Bible says. So I apologize up front if this will offend you. But God never created religion. It was never his purpose. Or his plan to establish any type of religion. Religion is simply man's carnal response to spiritual separation. We were separated from God. We don't know how to get back to him. So instead of waiting and praying to see what God would have to say, we create religion. Mm. Traditions, rituals, 
cultural practices. Ian Bounds put it this way. He said, the church is looking for better methods, better ways. God is looking for better people. Because this thing is about relationship. God is not interested in your methods. He's interested in your character. He's interested in who you are. He's not interested in religion. And I would submit to you today, this morning, that it is time, saints, that we stop doing church and start doing people. Come on. But we have created different things, different religions, different, dare I say, forgive me, denominations. Hmm. Well, the word denomination, and I won't stay on this long, I know my wife might look at me. It does not appear in either the Greek or the Hebrew text. Couldn't find it. Looked for it. Searched it. Even Google couldn't. Now, if Google can't find it, come on. (laughs) It's not there. The word itself carries the meaning of a dividing of the whole. In theological terms, it means dividing the body of Christ. And if you really look it up, the root, D, D-E, day, is of, nom, name, of, the name of. So are you telling me that your denomination, you're of the name of your denomination? I thought there was only one name. One church, one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Jesus is the only name that we need to know. (laughs) And I dare to say that if you were to go back to some of the heads or how how denominations were created, if you go back to some of those folks, Martin Luther would tell, he would point you to Jesus. I believe John Wesley would point you to Jesus. Come on. They would point you to Jesus, not me, but Jesus. They tried it with Paul. He said, no, no, no. Mm -mm. There is only one name, and I have to point you to him. Let's stop being divided. Let's have the mind of Christ and not the mind of our board meeting or the mind of the trustees or the mind of our congregational business meeting that we had last week. Those are not the minds that we should have. We should have the mind of Christ. Come on, somebody. Paul said in Romans 12, be of the same mind toward one another. Same mind. Now, I don't know what that means to you, but to me, it means the same mind. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 10, he said, now I plead with you. Listen to what Paul is saying. He said, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul is pleading with us, and I believe that that plea carries right on up to today. He pleads with us that we would have the same mind. Now, I don't know what kind of person would want to divide the body of Christ. Now, I'm not calling no names. I'm not calling no denominations either. But I'm just saying I don't understand it. But 
it is a trick of the enemy. Because divided we fall, but united we stand. Think of the Tower of Babel. And they were not even Christians. But God said, we, we better go down, see about these things. Because listen, they may not be Christians, but the people are as one. And when they are as one, what did he say? Nothing will be impossible. Imagine you and I who have the Spirit of God living in us. The ruler of the universe living in us. Should anything be impossible for you and me? Well, with man, it is impossible. But what? All things are possible. There should be nothing impossible unto us. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And in 1 Peter, he said, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also. He said, arm yourselves with the same mind. How do you fight the enemy? Arm yourselves with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So you see, there is no room for division in the body of Christ, saints. No room for it. If we are to have dominion and if we are to execute it properly, we must be of the same mind. Now you may say, well, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, which is true, which tells me that we are not the owners, but we are certainly the rulers. We are not the Lord, but we are the landlords. Come on. Because notice what God said in Genesis. He said, let them have dominion. He didn't say let us have dominion or let them have dominion together with me. Listen, look at what he said. Let them, let you have dominion. You have it. You got it. Didn't say us. Here we see a transfer of power. When God spoke this, these words, he established the conditions of his relationship to the earth through mankind. Though he's the owner, he gave us power and dominion over it. You rule it, saints. Now mankind is the legal authority on earth with the power of attorney to act on his behalf. And I believe that for man to understand himself and his purpose, it is necessary that this word dominion be understood. Miles Monroe puts it this way. He says, to be given dominion means to be established as sovereign, kingly ruler, master, governor, responsible for reigning over a designated territory with the inherent authority to represent and embody as a symbol the territory, resources, and all that constitutes the kingdom. You are responsible Responsibility comes with authority and dominion. Come on. What this is saying is that man has a responsibility for representing the kingdom government of God on the earth. You have to know what the kingdom of God is because you and I are responsible for executing it on this earth. How do we exercise that supreme authority? Well, since we are representing the king... We have to know what the king expects. How do we know what the king expects? 
but we have to spend time with the king. If you don't spend time with the king, reading, studying, praying, you will not know what the king expects. You will not know how to exercise and execute your dominion on this earth. But listen, you are kings and priests. It's what the Bible says, saints. You may say, I don't feel very kingly, but I'll tell you something. Once you know who you are, you'll start acting like it. If you know that you're a scorpion, you're going to sting. Likewise, if you know that you're an eagle, you're going to say, you know what? I'm getting out of this chicken coop. No, I belong up there with the kings of the air. Come on. I'm getting, I'm, I'm ditching this chicken coop. I'm putting it in my rear view and I'm going to where God has me. But you have to know who you are because if you believe you're a chicken, though you're an eagle, you'll stay right there picking up crumbs off the earth scratching, flapping your wings and only going a few feet. Dominion. Number three, he gave us peace. Peace is a characteristic. Now I define peace this way. A state of security and order, harmony and mutual concord or unity. Now that's a big word there. Talked about this the other night, but that's a big word, unity. My wife said, unity in the community. That's what we need. I say teamwork makes the dream work. Come on. Or any other cliche that you want to use. Another one was my teacher says it's cheating. I say it's working together. Oh, wait. I better scratch that one out. Sorry, Sister Carter. We won't put that one in there. <laughs> that one doesn't quite work, does it? <laughs> but unity is a big word here. And the reason I say that is because peace is not just the absence of conflict, as we might assume it is. We say, well, there's no conflict, so we're at peace. But that's not what peace is. Let's look at what Jesus says about it. John 14, 27, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then in Romans chapter 2, Paul said every Jew and every person who is not a Jew who sins will suffer and have great sorrow. But God will give his greatness and honor and peace to all those who obey the truth. Both Jews and those who are not Jews will receive this. God does not show favor to one man more than another. That's a New Living Translation. In other words, he's not a respecter of person. You obey him, you will have his peace, not man's peace. Peace is not the absence of war, saints. It is a virtue, a state of mind, a disposition. It is a benevolence, a confidence, and a justice. Peace is internal and does not depend on external circumstances. Doesn't depend on what somebody else said. And not only that, but we must work at peace. For it is fellowship and harmony. That's what peace is. That's what it is. Peace does not come without effort. We cannot just come into church and say, well, I really don't care for that brother over there. But listen, as long as he stays on that side and I'm on this side, we're good. I can lift my hands, he can lift his hands, and I don't have to really talk to him. Guess what? Not true. 
not peace, not God's way. I, I'm sorry to tell you, but it's, it's, it's not the way God wants it. We must be in fellowship to have God's peace. We must be in unity to have the peace of God. Romans 14, 19 says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace. Let's go after those things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Those are the things we need to pursue. Not our own ministry. But we need to pursue those things which make for peace. Is there a conflict? Is there a conflict in the church? Pursue that thing that makes for peace. Not for division. Oh, it's easy to go start my own thing. Listen, I'm tired. I've been offended. You know, he said that thing to me so many times that I'm, uh, I'm offended. They never let me testify. I never get to do my special. Uh, pastor never lets me bring a word on a Wednesday night. And, or, you know, I, I had this suggestion about this community outreach and they never uh, want to talk about that. And it's just on and on and on. So, listen, I'm just going to go start my own thing. Easy. That's easy to do. It's easy to run. But we must work at peace. Because Paul said to pursue those things which make for peace. Now it is tragic that even though peace is available through Christ, there is also a false peace that deceives some. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, they have a false peace. Then disaster will fall on them suddenly. And as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin... Jesus says, my disaster will come upon you because you're not pursuing peace. You have a false peace. You just feel like, well, everything's good. I don't need to accept the Lord in my life. I don't need all that religion. I don't need those things. You know, if God is so great, why does he always ask for money? You know, you could have a million excuses. I don't need God. You have a false peace. And in the twinkling of an eye, the twinkling of an eye, it will be over. Biblical peace involves and is the product of being spiritually minded. For to be carnally minded is death, Paul says. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Romans 8, 6. Love, characteristic of the kingdom. Dominion, characteristic of the kingdom. Peace, essential characteristic of the kingdom. And lastly, Abundance. Oh yeah, abundance is a characteristic of the kingdom. It is. I define abundance this way. A relative degree of plentifulness. Hmm. Enough. More than enough. Not lacking. That is a characteristic of the kingdom. And if you don't believe me, just look at what God has done. I was watching a movie a few weeks ago, and uh, one of my favorite movies to watch, actually, uh, and uh, they, the characters in this movie were talking, and this little girl asked her dad in the movie, she said, Dad, are we the only people in the universe? In other words, are there, is there life on other planets? And her dad said, sweetheart, I don't have the answer to that question. He said, but... If we are the only people, seems like it, it's a great waste of space. 
Now, that makes sense to my human flesh. I mean, if the universe is billions and trillions of stars and infinite and whatever it is that I can't count to and think of, and we're the only ones here, it seems like we are just insignificant. Though there are 7 billion people on this planet, there are billions of stars bigger than this planet. And so how big are we in all of this? And then God spoke to me and said, listen, I don't waste anything, but I do things in abundance, more than enough, overflow, grandiose, big. Oh, it's going to be big. It's going to be big. Why would I make something small and I'm such a big God? I need it to be big. That's the God we serve. When you think of this word abundance, sometimes you think of, well, you know, there's the prosperity message. And for some people, it kind of puts maybe a bad taste in your mouth because maybe you didn't grow up that way or maybe you're uh, used to, you know, struggling and, and doing those type of things. But here's what I want to tell you. Think of it this way. This may help you. When you think of that word abundance, think of it. Think of this word, fullness, fullness, all the way to the top, not half full, but overflowing, can't get any more in there, fullness. What does that mean, to be satisfied? That means to reach the full limit, having one's fill, to be in a state of contentment due to having needs met in abundance or excess. In the Hebrew, this is not a completed one-time action, but a continual ongoing action. It is not there was this one time where God blessed me. That's not the kingdom of God. It is a continually being satisfied notion in the process of finding fulfillment and joy in his presence. It is a daily, ongoing filling. This is abundance. I'm not making it up. Jesus said, the enemy came to kill you and destroy you. What did he say in John 10, 10? I come, what? That you might have life. It's Jesus' words. Those are his words, not my words or some other preacher's words. Jesus said, I come that you might have life and all that's in life and that you might have it more abundantly. Look at some scriptures from Psalms. Psalm 16, 11 says this. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. Psalm 24.1 says this. The earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness. God does things in abundance. Fullness. The world and all those who dwell therein. Psalm 36, 8, they are abundantly satisfied and all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. Fullness. We are to be full in every way. Do you have those Psalms, Bridget, that you can put up? I want you to see those because this, I want you to see that this is not something that I'm making up. I'm just coming up with. You should live in abundance because it sounds good and we're overcomer. We're the head and not the tail. And 
you know, like they're all cliches. These are scriptures, saints. Your presence is the fullness of joy. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And they are abundantly satisfied with all the fullness. It's okay. Trust me, they're in Psalms. <laughs> it's there. We are to be full in every way. Every way unto full stature. We are to be full in every way. Ephesians chapter 4 says this. He himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints and for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come together, and here's this word, in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God wants you all the way there. Because 99 and a half won't do. <laughs> he wants you all the way there. In the New Living Translation, that scripture says, all of us are to be as one in the faith and in knowing the Son of God. We are to be full-grown Christians, standing as high and complete as Christ is himself. A.W. Tozer said this, Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am shamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with thy love. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory. I pray thee so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Should be our prayer for today. Say to my soul, rise up my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name. God wants us to be full. And in the words of the great prophet, Michael Jackson, don't stop till you get enough. <laughs> we need to keep going, saints. God wants us to be full to the brim. Love, dominion, peace, and abundance or fullness. And I'll leave you with this. There's only one way to get into the kingdom. You cannot work your way in. You cannot buy your way in. But you must, you must, you must be born in. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again or born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So you will not realize what we're talking about this morning unless you are born again. Paul said in Romans, but what does it say? The word is near you. You have heard the word this morning of the kingdom of God. And it is in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. What is that word? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation.